Welcome to Tilt Talk Radio. Today we're going to be talking about zinc as we continue looking at the micronutrients. In our spotlight for today, we're going to look at tank mix chemicals. Ag History Minute, we'll talk about die-cast toys. We'll wrap things up with some cool beans that's corny with some current events to finish out the episode. With me today are Bill Schomburg. Hey, guys. Max Garvey. What's up, everybody? Todd Schomburg. Hey to all the Tilthies out there. And I'm Matt Brueger, all with Tilth Agronomy. Good, Edie the rebound. 13 seconds left. Here comes Jaden Ivey racing up the floor for three and the tie. It's good. And we're tied with 8.9 to play. Here comes Chucky. A chance for the title. Six seconds left. Hepburn left side with three, with two. Hepburn down. Off the glass. Off the glass. With 1.2 to play. And the Badgers take the lead at the call center. Big. Ten champs. The bank was open. Yeah. Wide open. Are bank shots just luck now? Because two of the last shots were bank shots to go in. Shouldn't bank and shots be less than luck? Because I, you're using right. You're, you're theory, using but, geometry to get yeah, the but they ball aren't in the throwing hoop. it up. To, they're not. I, no. They're not taught to shoot off that, right? So is it just an or, are, or were they? Hey, do if, you think you, they, if your basketball coach played ball in the seventies and eighties, you oh, are taught to play oh, yeah. off the backboard. <laughs> Which Greg Gard would be. Yeah, so maybe they are. They don't know. They, they should use it more, you're right, but they, they don't. And so the, the crazy part is that should have never happened because with whatever seconds left, Davison gets fouled. He's like the best free, free throw shooter on the team. They jinxed him on the, on on the he, TV. I'm pretty sure they said Announcers were like, he's made 23 of his last He's near the best free throw shooter in the country. Right, yeah. he's like 90-some percent. He he even thought when he missed it, I think he because he didn't get back on defense very fast or anything sure. to to stop them from shooting the three. So yeah, I think he was somewhat in like shock too of that he that he front rimmed it. Well, it kind of bounced off. Yeah, he kind of front rimmed it though. Yeah, it's like when it happened, I was sitting next to my son. I'm like, oh, perfect guy to get fouled like this is it. He's gonna <laughs> sink him too, and they'll be by, up by five, and the game's over. And and then he didn't. Cool part about the Chucky bomb is he's a freshman. Like that's pretty, pretty ballsy for a freshman to just grab the ball and not and, even look to pass. Like he set up Ivy, gained his space, and he and even let the it rip. shot when he took it too. It wasn't. I mean, he must have known that was his spot because you don't go to that spot. You only need a two to win at that point, right? Like not a three. Yeah. So and you're tied, so it's not like a miss, and you're you're done or anything like that. And, and he had time. It's not like he threw it up at the buzzer. There's still almost right. two seconds left. Yeah, it was yeah. like a 1.2. Yeah, Which in some ways may make sense. You hope to get a rebound or a tip in at that point, I guess. But in guard, I thought maybe it would take a timeout too to, to set something up. But he obviously knew like you don't want to risk I saw after bound or anything like that. I saw after that he didn't want to have Purdue have any time to set up to, their defense. Because sure. yeah. Yeah. they're like really efficient on offense, but Obviously, as we saw, their defense is meh, really not very good. So he just said, "We're going to do this, and we're not going to let them set up." Which was on good defense. coaching too, to just to hold out and not he, not do he, that. He's got to be national coach of the year, right? He's Badgers are picked to be tenth in tenth the Big in Ten. The Big Ten, and they're number one, tenth in the country, and they're probably going to go up this weekend. He should, but he probably <laughs> won't. So. 
Those things never seem to go the way you think they're going. Badgers were the only team in the top 10 to win this week. Yeah. Everybody else got beat, so Badgers should just be number one now. You should. Just, <laughs> just jump. I'm a little bit like with this tournament thing because apparently if, if they – I don't think they're going to get a one seed. I don't think they're that good enough. But if they do, they d- like they don't go to Chicago for the tournament. I don't know how that seeding works, but I was listening in the radio the other day. They have to be probably a three – to, to go to Chicago, Chicago, to go to Milwaukee, Milwaukee. Milwaukee. Okay. and then Chicago. To be the Midwest region right. or whatever. Right. We'd like to be a three seed. I think that's fair. We'd like to be a three seed, yeah, yeah. for sure. Yeah, and then you basically got home games home games the first weekend. and Big Ted tournament coming up, and they could play Michigan again. So yeah, it'd yeah. be, be interesting to see what happens. Yeah. First game out. That's not till... A week from we Friday. Put so. Jawan Howard in jail. <laughs> <laughs> Next to Aaron Rodgers. Jail. Prison. Life sentence. He assaulted our coaches. Yeah, Max, you staff. didn't get to comment on that. And you're a coach. Like, assault. Do you, do you have to shake hands with it's other assault. wrestling coaches at the end of... Are you a crybaby about <laughs> sportsmanship? No. We no get rid of the lines. You just shake hands and get back on the bus. <laughs> yeah, that's... It's ridiculous. It is ridiculous. I mean, shake hands, get on the bus, shut up. Everybody would you, loses. Would you say something if the other coach came by and did what Howard did? Wagged his finger in your face. Or just like, oh, yeah. I will remember that. Oh, yeah. I oh, think, yeah. Then why I would. wouldn't you? Like, Then I would, yeah. 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 That that would drive me crazy. I pe- Oh, people say people say stuff like, see at the state tournament. People say shit like that. Oh, sorry. <laughs> say crap like that. And I'm like, okay, buddy. You saw me today <laughs> and you didn't do anything about it. So <laughs> I kicked your butt today. We'll do it again on... At the state tournament. See at the state tournament. See at sectionals when it counts. Okay. They all they all count. <laughs> right. So you didn't work as hard today because it didn't count? Yeah. That's one of my favorite lines that I get. We'll see you at the state tournament. All right. Cool deal, dude. <laughs> it was a fun game. Yep. Now they just got to finish off lowly Nebraska. Yeah, the nine and twenty-one Nebraska basketball team. Does it lose luster if they lose and they have to share it with Illinois? Yeah, kind of. But I feel like at the same time, it's like the the nineteen eighty-two Miracle Game wasn't the no they, that wasn't for gold either. Right, you just right. sort of. But if they wouldn't have won gold, then I think that would have made it a bigger deal too. So. And that's one of the but, lines from Brooks was like, "This game means nothing unless you go out and win the, win the next one." Yeah. Well, a little they, different stakes here. Is a Big Ten championship really that? I, I mean, we've won a lot of them, right? It, it's still cool, but Max is right. This isn't also the gold medal either. I mean, you want to do something. It's a bigger deal to win the Big Ten tournament than the Big Ten regular season, isn't it? To me, I don't think so because you have 20 games okay. to I versus think it's, a weekend. I think it's way more fun to win a regular season title. Right. But in the eyes of the seeding committee... Isn't it a bigger deal to win the Big Ten tournament at the end? I don't think so either anymore because they see the day of, you know, that's the day. So it's fresh in their minds. I think that helps yeah. a lot. But I don't know if they put as much. But if you listen on. to, like, everybody out of Madison, like the sports guys and guys within the program, they're like, we're measured by NCAA tournament success. Like That's yeah. all that matters, yeah. That's what – if we don't make it to the second weekend, no, that's we, true. They, we could go 25-5 and five and – and they're like, oh, you had a bad season because you didn't make it to the Sweet 16. Yeah. Which, let that sink in. That's crazy. 
right. being judged on that scale. Like, can, and, is and, Kentucky even going to make the tournament this year? Or Duke? And like, Sweet 16 is basically two games. You, you got two wins. Right. That right. Could go, something could go not your way one day or you're off a day and you're out. Yeah, Brad Davison goes 50% from the free throw line. Yeah. Right. right. <laughs> or you play. Or Steph Curry decides to go off. Yeah, that was, oof, that was terrible. That, or you play Sister Jean. I mean, yeah. stuff like that goes on. That is what's cool about this team is I hope they don't get too high in themselves in that. Gosh, when like when Davison misses that free throw and then they go down and tie it, there's yeah. a lot of teams that don't. I mean, that they sort of lose their edge, and this team's just got that killer edge at the end that they're gonna they're gonna win no matter what. And like, Ivy, that was sure pretty cold blooded. Three, he had to he tie had the a, game. Yeah. Bill and I talked about this in the truck one day. There's Ooh. nothing more valuable at the NC2A tournament. Than a guard who's a senior. There is. Yep. I don't care what anybody yeah. says. You can have the player of the sure. year. A guard who's a senior makes wow. and, all the difference. And Brad D- Davison's like a super duper. He's senior. like a nice senior. Yeah. Him he's and Jordan good. Bohannon from, yeah. from Iowa are like forty two years old. Yeah. <laughs> a senior guard makes a huge difference. Just kind of holds no, everything right, together. Though, that, that leadership they've been there. He look look at what Davison's been through. I mean, he oh, played yeah. with played with some of the. And I feel best for these guys, like Davison especially, because they won the Big Ten championship two years ago, and then, right in the, when the world shut down, and they didn't get to celebrate it at all. And now this year, like fans are storming the feet, the court, and it's madness. Chucky Hepburn and, and Johnny Davis are really fun, like really fun, like they're awesome, but they 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 don't have the navigation of the tournament. Like that's that's a special right. That's a spe- that takes a special kind of kind of guy, so. All right, you guys ready to talk some zinc? Let's do it. All right, Todd, what do you got for us? Yeah, so today we were kind of in our micro, keep going down the micronutrient train, and and we're on zinc today, which is kind of the epitome of micronutrients because it like you need it. But it, you need such a small amount of it, it's unbelievable. So zinc is everywhere, like in daily life. It's in every cell of your body, so it's in the food we eat. Like right now, Max, in your body, it, there's 2.5 grams of zinc in there. So it's... Like, I'm what? an overachiever. I bet you there's three. <laughs> it did say two to three. You're overweight. You one of those that takes zinc tablets for your immune system? No. No. Zinc's also important in a lot of metal stuff. So if you combine copper with zinc, you get brass, which I didn't know, which I probably should have known, but I feel like I didn't. And the U.S. penny is 98% zinc, and then there's just with a copper, copper coating. Yeah. So, like, there, you know, we're, we touch it, and it's in us, and it's with us every day. So if you melt a penny, do you get brass? Ooh. Ooh. I don't know if, right. they can, if that, much. that's yeah, the right the ratios, ratio right? Be, but you're right, so it almost is basically brass. So they, they melt down pennies to make trumpets. <laughs> I wonder how much zinc is in these uh, soda cans that we drink out of every day. They said a lot of metal coatings are with zinc because it yeah. prevents corrosion. And it's, I, Then it's I would really guess I'm more towards a three. <laughs> three and a half. Three and a half. Yeah. Yeah. You're overachiever in the zinc category. <laughs> I, drink, I, pull up, I, put, I put a lot of soda cans in my hand in a day. Soda? So you're high in zinc and aluminum. Yep, you got her. So what's the important part of zinc in the plant? That's what we're going to talk about today. And basically, it's very important to create various enzymes that are responsible for driving metabolic reactions. 
So it helps create sort of that chains that help help that. And so it's not really specific enzymes that are present in plant tissue. It's kind of throughout the plant. And it helps with carbohydrate, protein, and chlorophyll formation, you know, which basically it, all those components are very important when we're growing plants. So, th you know, that's why it's important. And what's also interesting about it is it's not necessarily one we see. We've talked about in the past how certain crops have more response to it. And this one, the biggest response for zinc is in our, in our corn that we grow. So corn, sweet corn, you know, like snap beans, those three are, they have very large responses. In the middle, you got like potatoes, soybeans, and then small responses, you got alfalfas, grass pasture, oat, and wheat. So I don't know about you guys, but we really tend to focus on this one in corn, yeah. and then ever else you don't even sort of think about it. Agreed. Exclusively, like when I'm thinking about it, it's in corn, not not the other crops really at all. Unless maybe you do a tissue sample or something. Yeah, I mean, if you were seeing deficiency, then you might, but I, most of like the time even it's like not. In our alfalfa tissue samples, I don't know that I've ever seen it low in no. zinc ever. Like just, That's just, one of those ones that just hangs in the optimal and you never really... Yeah. you just It's, it's never high, it's never low, it just kind of hangs in the middle and... It's always there. So as far as mobility and mobility, so we've talked about this in the past ones of knowing how it acts in the soil and how it acts in the plant really helps. And this is immobile in the plant and also immobile in the soil. So that's one thing to think about is um, it doesn't really move around a lot. So it doesn't leach in the soil. You don't usually lose it. So if you already have it there, you're usually good. Um, and then in the plant, you'll see the deficiencies and always in the new growth because it, it's really slow moving in the plant. And then we've talked in the past, too, of, like, what's good to find? Do you, should we do plant tissue testing or soil testing? And we've talked certain nutrients. We kind of like one or the other. And this one, I didn't have an opinion going in. Do you guys have an opinion which is better that you've used? I think in general, we just pay more attention to it in tissues because we're not always soil sampling for right. micros. So I think that just solely based on that, not that I have a preference one or the other, it's just that's typically where we're seeing that number. And and what all the reading I did about it said either one is a good indicator. So in the in the plant tissue is a really good indicator, in the soil is a good indicator. So either way, you can kind of use those to see do you have a deficiency there or not. I think the other thing, too, between the two tests is we're doing, most likely, we're doing tissue samples more often than soil. So maybe you're, well, you're seeing right. it more in the tissue because a lot of times we're taking tissue samples every year on certain crops. So, and you're only taking your soil. You every know. three years. And like Bill said, typically that's not one we no. run in the, we just don't. It's just the cost of it to run it across the board. Um, at this point, it's not worth doing that where, you know, in the tissue sample, you get all those micronutrients. And even among that, you know, we do probably more tissues in corn, followed by alfalfa, and then soybeans. I mean, typically we're only doing soybeans if we see a problem. Yep. So, the, which maybe we should be doing more often because it, it has the moderate <laughs> response, response to zinc versus alfalfa has no response no, to zinc. Yeah. But. The soil test is interesting because the the range of optimum is quite large. So it 
under three <clears throat> parts per million is when you're considered low. And then above 20 parts per million, you're considered high. So optimum is like a three to a 20. So that is quite a range too that is interesting because I think that just shows you just sort of need a little there. And then even this one for like to hit a toxicity level, there really wasn't much on a zinc toxicity level. I mean, I'm sure it can happen, but it, it just wasn't really even a um, sort of a problem that's out there. So um, I thought too would have like different ranges based on sand or clays or anything like that. And this one does not um, or organic matter, but it is tied heavily that um, it is more of a problem on sandy soils. So if you have sandy soils, typically you're going to have more potential to have zinc deficiency. Um, whereas if you got a clay soil, um, because it does come in sort of that parent material. So it, it basically zinc exists naturally in rocks. So the amount of zinc present in the soil depends on the parent material. And sandy and highly leached acidic soils generally have low plant available zinc. So something to really sort of watch is it doesn't have a different optimum range, but typically you're going to be lower on your sandy soils. So instead of picking rocks, we should just be crushing them and, and put releasing the zinc. For zinc. It just pulled up. I'm just trying to think back to when I sampled for micros last time, and it was a farm that we usually did one on, and these are from 2015, so quite old, but three fields, like big differences. It was a One field was a 2, one field was a 2.2. That's not a big difference, but then the third field was 0.9. So, probably, so you did have a zinc deficiency yeah, there, there? in the soil. I mean, I don't remember ever seeing it in the plant, but this guy, this farmer fertilized... You know, that was part of our program was the zinc. Is so. that sandier soil? What's the organic matter? Um, 3.3, so, so not, nothing. Not low, low. No, actually, for for the soil type, pretty good, actually. Manure, so, do they use manure or no manure? No, this was cash cropper. Yeah, so and I think that, too, is, you know, manure, we get trace amounts of zinc and usually enough to really help the plants, whereas, you know, being cash crop, if you don't have that manure in your system, it's good to to get that zinc somewhere. Maybe it's a good thing, too, to, you know, take some micros at one point, you know, to get a baseline at least. Especially what we just said of being immobile in the soil. Right. Is if you just, it's something, this is one where you almost take a snapshot maybe every five years and you'd be good, you know, and you would know like. Maybe every um, other every other cycle in your soil sample. Correct. You could do that. So Bill's right. If you're on a three-year cycle you know, maybe do every other year and you could probably do it on a composite basis. I don't think you'd have to do every sample. Yeah. No. That's typically what I would do is that's what we, yeah. that's what we did is we took one sample per, they, the lab would take all the samples, combine them into one and then make one composite sample for the micros. For the micros yeah. So, and this one would be the perfect one to do that on that. You're, you're not going to variable rate it. Um, you're no. probably not going to have a huge difference within areas of the, of the soil of that. So, yeah. So plant deficiencies, like, so what's some indicators of what it's going to look like? And the, usually it does start out in that young plant. You'll see maybe a, you know, a six inch tall corn plant and it'll start to have basically broad white stripes on both sides of the midrib is sort of that indicator. Um, somewhat of a, it, it's a yellow stripe and it's not really intervenal yelling, but kind of, it has that sort of look to it. Um, kind of it does look like we've talked some of these are actually kind of neat to look at and this one kind of falls in that category of an ornamental look to it 
And in soybeans, there it does look like intervenal chlorosis, somewhat similar to what manganese would look like, but maybe not as white, a little bit more yellow. Yeah, so it's not usually as pronounced like the manganese can be. And like we've talked to before, zinc in soybeans is sort of a moderate response, so you rarely see it in soybeans where you're probably going to see the manganese first. But you could mix them up because if, if it's not something you sort of are used to seeing, it, it might be a, a problem that you don't. You know, you don't really notice. So we've talked about, you know, which soils to look for. There's one other thing that I had never heard of, um, and it's called phosphorus-induced zinc deficiency. So there is a concern that when you have high phos numbers or high manure usage, that that phosphorus can kind of screw up um, the zinc in the soil and, and the, the ability of the plant to get the zinc in the soil. So usually... When you're doing it with manure, the manure also contains zinc, so it kind of doesn't matter. So the the phosphorus supplied from the manure should not create a zinc deficiency because you also have zinc in the manure. But say you're applying, you already have sort of high soil test phos, or you're applying a lot of phos that doesn't have zinc with it, you can induce this zinc deficiency from that. Um, I do think that's part of the reason why, you know, most of the time our 1034-0 starters or our starters are usually high, higher in FOS. Then, and that's kind of one of the reasons, too, we piggyback zinc in there. There's other reasons because it's a good way to put it in. But one of the reasons is, is there's a lot of phosphorus with that, that, that zinc will help that. So, so how do we fix it? Um, Bill, what's, what have you found your best way to fix a zinc problem is? Um, in corn, obviously, we were talking, and basically in furrow is the best. Um, liquid, it's easy because you just put a quart of zinc in with your pop-up, and you're good to go. I've done it, you know, guys that still have dry starter. You, I remember in my co-op days, you'd, you'd dump that bag of sulfur and that bag of zinc in with the, when you're mixing up the starter, and so we've done it that way as well. Those are the easiest ways to get it in furrow or... Do you remember what rate it was in the start, like a half a pound an acre type of deal? Or yeah, was it wasn't like, much. I mean, you're dumping like, I forget what, you know, we used to run the old batch, the old batch mixer, 10-ton batch mixer or whatever, and you'd dump like three, four bags in, you know, in a big mix big, like that. Yeah. There's also some other, like Micro Essentials does have a product called Micro Essentials SZ, so that's got sulfur and then a pound of zinc with that. So there is some other, you know, products out there too that if you know you got a deficiency, you can throw it in. But like Bill said, the easiest way and the most effective way is that starter fertilizer. It's the most economical, economical approach in what the research showed because you're banding it, which helps. Um, zinc shows up usually early in the plant. The plant does need it throughout the whole year, but it tends to show up earlier when those roots aren't, you know, as, as big. So if you put it in that starter band, it'll be right there uh, for the plant to get it, which is good. Now you talked about manure, and I found it interesting that chicken manure is a little bit higher in zinc. So you can, if you can get chicken litter, that's another way of adding it to the system. You know, we talked about regular cow manure would have it too, but that tends to be a higher concentration in the poultry, so... It's interesting. There's also people that do foliar applications of zinc, but it really hasn't been consistently effective in correcting the deficiencies. So it's a way, I, 
a lot of times that's almost used more in trial basis than I, I don't know that I've ever done a fuller application of zinc. Um, I know some of the products have zinc in them right. sometimes. You know, some of our foliars can have them in there. but It's usually not targeting the zinc correct, aspect yeah, of it. Right? It's almost like it's sort of with it. Um, so that that's a way. And then kind of one final note that I thought was there were some takeaways. And one of the biggest takeaways was that it said the current research does not support the widespread use of chelated zinc applied in furrow and cord production. And what that takeaway really meant was is that word widespread use is if you have a deficiency, oh, yes, use it. You need it. But if you have soil tests that show you don't have a deficiency or tissue tests that show you don't, you don't necessarily have to chuck it in every time. So that's something to really think about is um, I think we're getting used to in our starters and some of our programs if we kind of piggyback stuff in and it's like, well, yeah, you got to have the chelated zinc in there. You, you, it's sort of an automatic. Yep. And um, this is something that we we can maybe not necessarily treat as an automatic that if you test for it and you know you have a deficiency, then yes, keep doing it, keep it in your program. But if you test for it and there isn't sort of widespread deficiencies or any problems, then you're probably okay, you know, not having it in there and, and saving the money on the zinc. All right. So there you go. Zinc helps plants grow, especially corn out of our big cash grain crops. So something to keep an eye on. And if you've got a deficiency, maybe try to get that infro application. But if not, it may not be as big of a concern. So now we'll move into our spotlight for today. When it comes to chemicals and spraying, we always talk about tank mixing and you know, putting the right amounts of different things in. So tank mix in a jug is what we're going to talk about today. So herbicides that are pre-mixed are about 37% of the marketplace currently, which, you know, Todd said you were surprised it wasn't a little bit higher than that. Yeah, I was actually slightly shocked that, you know, the, the headline was, is, you know, the tank mixer, tank mixes capture 30% of the market share. And I, I don't know, I would have thought they would have already had 60% or something like that. So... And they're talking, so like, say, an Acheron product where it's already in our Lumax. For years, we sprayed, you know, a lot of Lumax and Resicor, and there's Harness Extra and sort of any of these, you know, products in a jug, which if we think about, Bill, I mean, even over 20 years ago, you didn't, you know, there weren't many pre-mixes no, like that. No, my first spray was, I mean, it was dual Hornet. yeah. And, and Hornet kind of was because of Stinger and Python, but... Sure. So there was some of li- that. But, but like, but you know, when I started spraying early on, yeah, it, it, you mixed everything. It was... You had to know how to mix, what order, when to put stuff in. It wasn't like put your 28 in and dump your Lumax in and go. It was all the different products. And then you had a lot of dispersible granules that you had to make sure that that dissolved and didn't settle out in your tank and well just last week we were talking about tank mix order when you were going right. to add in certain things you got to make sure you do it in the right order otherwise you the get manganese uh, manganese yes when you add manganese to the equation you have to put it in a certain order i mean we've all probably had guys that have had issues with their screens plugging up and different stuff because they they didn't do the right thing and 
I mean, it makes more work for you. So having a, t- a pre-mix is kind of nice it, it is in a lot of the, ways. The chemistry technology and that sort of is amazing to think they can throw in four modes of action in one jug and it not totally get deactivate each other or they don't throw each other off or when you go to spray, something doesn't work more than other. I mean, we know we talk about antagonistic in the tank all the time. There's no doubt about it. The less measurements you have to take, the less chances there are for an error, right? Yeah. The yep. less things you have to measure out by themselves, the better. And I think guys are looking for speed too, right? Like, it's Yeah, just, it's not that big a deal, but when you're doing this for a lot of acres, like saving well, five minutes every time you mix is probably a big pretty deal. big, yeah. And a lot of time these are coming in bulk, which is a lot nicer right. versus in jugs and that where you got to you know, triple rinse them and have all that to deal with. So it's, it's a lot better. We have seen that, you know, we haven't seen in the last 20, 30 years, there hasn't been many new herbicides. There's been a lot more new pre-mixes. pre-mixes yeah. Yep. And so some of the newer pre-mixes down the pipe now, one's called Resicor XL. So they're kind of reformulating Resicor, which is acetochlor, clopyrrolid, and mesotrione. So kind of that one's getting a new sort of reformulation, which will be interesting. And then um, Acuron, we've got the new Acuron GT, which won like a product of the year last year as far as being sort of a new one. And there's more premixes coming for that. Um, There's going to be an Acuron XR, Acuron Flexi XR coming down the way. So they're actually supposedly like phasing out Acuron and coming on with this new Acuron XR, which will have pretty much the same amount of bicyclopyrone, but it'll have more um, more of the good stuff, dual and Callisto. So I think you're going to see better grass control potentially with that product. So that it, you know, a lot of more kind of for you know they they put these formulations out, and I think over time they sort of refine them. I remember when Acron first came out, I talked to the rep. I said, you know, you don't have enough dual in there. It's only 1.4 pints on a normal rate. And he said, well, the bicyclopyrone brings some grass and it'll help. But I think we've seen over time that. You know, yeah, that kind of worked, but now obviously they're turning up that dial of the dual rate now. So, all right, now we can move into the egg history minute for today. All right, I love the banjo. So, here we are talking die cast toys. So, the metal. Used most commonly in die casting is an alloy of zinc, hence the discussion of it today, with small quantities of aluminum and copper. Lead or iron are impurities that must be carefully avoided, so they give rise to deterioration of the metal commonly called zinc pest. So Ertl, in this big farm toy production, They've been doing replicas since 1945 for over 60 years. Company has produced farm toys for industry brands such as John Deere, Case IH, New Holland, and Agco. Lesney began making die-cast toys in 1945. Their popular Matchbox series was so named because there were always 75 different vehicles in the line, each packaged in a small box designed to look like a Matchbox. These toys became so popular that the Matchbox became widely used as a generic term for die-cast toy cars, regardless of the manufacturer. And then I think we've all had Hot Wheels uh, in 1968. They were introduced in the U.S. by Mattel to address the complaint that they had no line of toys for boys to balance out their line of Barbie dolls. 
because they looked fast and were fast. They were equipped with low-friction wheels and axles. Hot Wheels quickly became the most popular die-cast cars in the toy market, becoming one of the world's top sellers, challenging the popularity of Matchbox. So, I know, Todd, you were a big carpet farmer. I'm sure, Bill, you probably were, too. Todd was like table farming. He we had the whole. And Dad built me like a big table to put it on, and I'd actually yeah before school get up and you know had to milk the cows and (laughs) bale hay before yeah. And I had a good set, and then yeah, when I got married, we sold a lot of it, but I still kept the couple couple barns I liked and a couple things that I liked. So you still go down and milk the cows every morning <laughs> no, in the Ertl Farmer? Yeah. No, I retired as a carpet <laughs> farmer, so yeah, I was had a good run. I actually, I actually like the micro machines better than the, than the, the Hot Wheels. Than the Hot Wheels. I'm surprised. Like, my kids, like, we got enough little tractors, but the Hot Wheels game right now, like, the tracks they got. And yeah. They got some really cool. Like, they do a lot of like cross branding too. I know I've seen I, different series that uh, they try to capture the popularity of like Frozen and other Disney stuff. <laughs> that they have the like Elsa car for the girls, and they have the Star Wars for the boys. And I've seen the uh, the monster truck stuff too. You know they yeah. kind of try to get that. Now too, they we got like a set that has like a it has like a QR thing or something like a chip in the car. Okay, and then when it goes through this reader. You have an app, so you like launch it, and then it hits this reader, and then that reads the speed, and then on the app it shows Ooh, it doing the metrics, different sure. stuff. So they it's, they've that's fancy. They've got it figured out to do it in different different ways. But kids today are so spoiled. <laughs> you just had a stick, Max, or what? Yeah, we played in the dirt. A sharp, not even a sharp stick. It was one stick. <laughs> yeah. Walked uphill. You didn't have any little toys, Max, at all. Like. Not really. Yeah, we had. I mean, we had tractors. We had toy yeah. tractors. I say you probably had, had the the next size up, like the sixty four, the non small, not the really small ones. Well, and now two Ertl sold out in two thousand eleven to Tommy T O M Y Tommy. I don't know how they say it. So even that, like, they make a nice product, but it was not like what the Ertl product was. And sure. All right. All right, thanks to all our listeners out there. Please subscribe to the podcast and tell a farmer friend. They're going to ask, I just talked to a farmer this week and said, what the F is a podcast? It's literally what he said. And uh, I said, you can listen to radio on your phone. It's great. It's always with you. You have your phone. It's more than just checking the weather on there. So he had an Android phone, so we had to download an app, which is either Podcast Addict, Podbean, or Player FM. And then you search Tilth Talk Radio. There's also Apple Podcasts on your iPhone. And there, too, just search Tilth Talk Radio. We also can be heard on a browser. So on your computer or smartphone, go to tilthag.com slash podcast. And you can follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Tilth Talk Radio. Don't forget, we're also now available on Amazon Music. All right, now we'll wrap things up with our cool beans. That's corny for the week. So cool beans, cool beans, cool beans, cool beans. Wow, that was quick. Cool beans. All right, our cool beans this week. Wheat prices shoot to a 14-year high on concerns over the conflict between Russia and the Ukraine. So they were, even before, I think, the invasion, wheat was beating a lot of people's expectations, and now it continues to rise. So May and July, both hard red Winter and soft red winter contracts are limit up at the moment at 75 cents. So uh, 
trading limits closed. This was from yesterday. 50 cents higher than the day before. So, Bill and Max, how much of our wheat do you think comes from Ukraine and Russia of exports of wheat? How much do we export to them? No, how much do we get from, from them? them? I know uh, Ukraine exports a lot. I have no idea how much, but I know it's a you lot. You want like a, Just a bushel? bushel? No, a percent. Like of our total wheat. Okay. Of our total exports. <laughs> so a percentage of the market. 50 no, it's lower than that. No. I was going to say like 32. 30%. 30, yeah. Yeah, yeah. which it, I mean, if you think about it's still amazing. And that's just what they export, obviously. So, Yeah, I mean, there's a reason Ukraine is in the, the bread basket of Europe. And one thing I didn't know, that they, they're ranked number one in sunflower seed exportation Ooh. in Ukraine. So that one was not one I would have guessed. I was I was reading an article last night... And it, I think the corn price is going to be quickly to follow here because there's like something like 650 million bushels are locked up in Ukraine right now, and they're contracted to someone. And yeah, it was a whole thing. But I think we're going to see a lot of prices jump here because that's Ukraine is actually a pretty good exporter. It sounds like. Oh yeah, yeah. That's it's very fertile land in and, that part of the world, and so they're they're big farmer. I mean, it's big farmer country in general. Just looking at a local elevator, they're at ten. 39 for wheat. Holy wow. May wheat. What? May wheat, 1039. <laughs> That's unbelievable. Dang. Like, like leave the straw out there. Just yeah. Yeah. taking the grade at this point. I know. Should have been planting wheat and not corn, yeah, I guess. It's, this too year, bad, like, it's too bad we can't change. You know, like think if it wasn't winter wheat and you could plant it. Like if yeah. spring wheat. I mean, spring wheat of, probably still wants take good, takes pretty good money right now, right? Well, probably. It just yeah. never seems like we can... We don't have a local price Right. You got to take it to Mankato and you got to yeah. like... It's just... Yeah. Not the... Not the same as winter wheat. I'll tell you what. Those wheat stem counts are going to be a little thinner <laughs> yeah. this year and our rain's going to be all right. Yeah. Yeah. That, that will make a big difference in looking at those stands after this winter. So $10 wheat you can hang in for a little bit longer. All right. Our that's corny this week. Kind of hitting in that same vein. Cargill confirms a charter vessel was hit by an attack in the Black Sea as the Ukraine-Russia crisis continues. Uh, so this is a little bit older. This is from last week, but a Cargill-contracted ship took some damage. Uh, luckily, it was empty, and the crew was all safe and accounted for. But uh, just more of the fallout from that conflict. You're going to have to stay out of certain areas for shipping. I know uh, there was talk of Turkey, too, limiting some travel in that area. So You wonder how a ship took, took damage, but all crew and everything was safe. Like, how do you... You would think if it took damage, it got hit by, like, you know, a submissile or something, you would think it would do something. You know well, what I mean? There's, they're not really... I don't think there's any subs in action. It'd be a shell or something that went off track and probably put a hole in the ship, but if it's above the waterline, sure. then nobody was behind it, you're probably all right. I just only can picture ca- catastrophe. But. <laughs> yeah, I don't think Ukraine has any subs, so there wouldn't be too much sub warfare other than Russia probably has some, but I don't know how many they would have in the Black Sea versus... You know, that, that's kind of a pretty limited area. You'd have to portage your submarine. <laughs> that would be interesting to see. So, yeah, it's 
the conflict's still ongoing, um, still going to be affecting prices and everything else, so hopefully they'll be able to find a resolution before... Let's say one of the reasons prices go up is because ship owners will have to pay higher war risk insurance. Yep. So... Get your war insurance. So, yeah, get your (laughs) war risk insurance rates are going up in the Black Sea, so you're going to have to... Yeah, it just all comes down the line. All right. Well, that'll do it for today. Thanks for being here, guys. Thanks for having us, Matt. This week we talked about zinc and where it fits in in the grand scheme of things with plants and its availability in the soil. Our spotlight for today was talking about tank mix herbicides that are about 37% of the total marketplace right now and some new ones coming out as the year goes on. Ag History Minute, we talked about die-cast toys. And our cool beans was wheat prices reaching record highs, while our that's corny was the rise of insurance and potential damage coming from the Ukraine-Russia conflict. So thanks for listening, and as always, happy farming.